It's the Sunday Showcase on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated G for general audience. Sonic Echo. And welcome to Season 4 of Sonic Echo. I'm your host, Jeff, and with me are my amigos, Jack Ward. Hi, Jack. Gunsmoke, <laughs> it's the smokiest gun of them all. Gunsmoke, on your horse standing tall. Sorry, I, uh, <laughs> no, that was good. I don't have the rest more? of the lyrics figured out, but yeah, I joined the marshal and dock. And no, I'm going to continue everything. It's the original lyrics. Sorry. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Welcome, Jack. And, of course, Lothar Tuppin. Hey, Lothar. I'm a bit parched because it's dry out here in the Kansas desert <laughs> heat. Can I have some coffee, please? <laughs> <laughs> because the scalding coffee will keep you cold. That's according right. To the, That's according right. to the great doc of Gunsmoke. Well, spoilers, <laughs> oh no! <laughs> well, as you can figure out by now, we are... Talking about and listening to Gunsmoke this week, mm-hmm. and what are your overall impressions of of Gunsmoke, Jack? Oh, I freaking love Gunsmoke. I, I got to tell you, it's one of my favorite audio dramas of all times. So I was I was thrilled when you said you're going to do it. What you may not realize, but I will tell people right now, is I actually created a fan page for William Conrad because of Gunsmoke. Oh wow! So I know that. there's yeah. a fan page. There's a fan page on Facebook. So if anybody goes and looks for fans of William Conrad, it's not huge, and I don't keep up on it, kind of thing. But I just love William Conrad so much in this role that I ha- I, I I went out and I thought there's got to be a fan page, and there wasn't, so I jumped onto it, kind of thing. So oh, he's amazing, and and you probably know more than I do, but I I read that he played over what seventy five hundred parts in old time radio over the years. So. Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's just fantastic. He was one of those go-to guys that he could always get in to do all kinds of roles, and usually the heavy. He was really good at doing the heavy. And one of the things I read was it it almost kept him from getting the Marshall Dillon part because he was so he was on so many di- different shows. Oh, wow. right. I, I did hear him, and in he one- was really hurt. Sorry, yeah. I was just going to say he was really hurt that he couldn't do the Marshall Dillon role on TV, but he just wasn't the right shape or size. No, not even. Yeah, but yeah. James Arness was no no comparison no, not from even, an acting not point even of close, view. close, I don't think. Absolutely not. You're absolutely yeah. right. It was very visual as opposed yeah. to the actual acting elements, for sure. I actually heard William Conrad in a, in a uh, old radio show called Jason and the Golden Fleece. Have you ever heard that? Uh-uh. Yeah, it's this guy named Jason, and he has this boat called the Golden Fleece. Oh, I haven't and heard people that come one, no. up, People go out on it, and they have adventures on this, this yacht. And William Conrad's in it, and he plays a wow. French bartender. And he does this French <laughs> awesome. accent, and it, it sounds very odd hearing William Conrad <laughs> do a French accent. <laughs> yeah, I imagine. But, uh, it was great. How about you, Lothar, when you think about Gunsmoke? You know, 
while there's other shows that I might listen to a little more regularly, um, in which case I might say they're more my favorites, I can't think of any old-time radio show that is, from my point of view and from an objective point of view, a better-made show. I think this is the best old-time radio show ever, mm -hmm. um, just in the sense of the production quality, the writing, the acting, uh, the tension, the subtext, everything just is you know, so top notch. Every single episode is a masterclass on how to do audio drama. Mm -hmm. Oh, I agree. I've listened to about a hundred of them or so uh, over the years. And I just, I have the same opinion. I think the writing is fabulous. I think the, um, the way it's edited, they're, they're not afraid to build in silence. Um, mm -hmm. They're not afraid to take their time. It, it And I think right. it just makes for a more kind of realistic feel to it of, of, just that that sense when you're listening to it, and, and uh, I, it's definitely one of my all time favorite old time radio shows, without a doubt. Yeah, and this this episode that you brought us, I think there'll be some specifics that we can talk about as to give examples of exactly why we have this opinion of it, because there were some really very sublime aspects of the plot that I think were in this one. Oh, good. I'm glad you think so, because I thought so too. Th yeah, this one really, um, you know, we always talk about Shakespeare on this show, or at least I do, and. And, um, you know, I think that they brought that in and I think the whole, there's a whole theme or something going on with words and the power of words and there's all kinds of things happening mm -hmm. in this episode, um, that yep. I think are, are, are worth talking about and worth listening to people out there. For sure. A little bit about the show. It, it ran for 480 episodes, which is pretty substantial, uh, from right. 1952 to 1961. And, um, so that, that's pretty amazing when you think about a run of, of 10 years like that. And I generally, it's regarded as one of the fa uh, finest radio dramas of all time. You know, everywhere yep. you look, you, you yep. see that, that catchphrase yep. about this. So, and there's, there's an interesting, like almost you know, like a, a, a years overlap between the television and the radio version too. They had them both running at the same time. Oh, that's yeah, interesting. Because the show started yep. in 55, the TV show. That's right. Went to seventy five. Right. Yeah. So it's it's like the second longest running TV show or something of all time. Absolutely. Is that, yeah. Is that second to Mass Jack. I I think it's uh, <laughs> yeah when uh yeah Bonanza was quite up there too, but I believe Gunsmoke beat uh, Bonanza when it came to length for westerns, and I think you're right. Mash is longer. Yeah. So. But now isn't like uh I mean not to bring things down to banal uh, modern day stuff but isn't supernatural in like 16 or 17 years at this point is <laughs> something obscene like oh, that. Maybe I don't know. Th th there's some modern ones that I think that have broken the old records but you know I'm I'm yes. not keeping up on it so maybe I'm wrong and I would love to be but you know. <laughs> well I, let's the, the Simpsons beats them yeah, all. Well, that's let's true. be oh, honest. Oh that's true. Exactly. Yeah, you're absolutely right about <laughs> that's that. That's true. Yeah. And that's that's great writing on the Simpsons. That's no question about that. Mm -hmm. For sure. Anything else before we uh, take a listen? I'm just anxious to dig into this episode. Great. Yep, same here. All right. <laughs> so, Gunsmoke set in Dodge City, Kansas in the 1870s uh, during the heyday of the Old West. And the episode we're going to listen to today is called Shakespeare. Enjoy it, and we'll see you on the other side. Around Dodge City and in the Territory on West, 
There's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with the U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gunsmoke, starring William Conrad. The story of the violence that moved west with young America. The story of a man who moved with it. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. It was the dust. The heat was bad enough in Dodge City, but out on the plain, it was the dust. The sun was a burning red-brown chip in the sky. And the sweat on a man never had a chance to drop. It was blotted and dried with dust. Doc, Chester, and I had ridden to old man Gore's place ten miles out. He'd had some trouble with one of the hands. Fellow had gone loco with liquor and had been shooting up the cattle. We found him, stripped naked nearby on his haunches, crying, drunk over a parched water hole. Doc had got him to bed and fixed him up some. And now we were heading back for Dodge. Darn horse. Seems he's just bound to stomp all the dust and candles in my eyes. <coughs> Maybe the marshal will buy you a camel, Chester. This keeps up. We'll all buy camels. I remember the time back in Waco when I was just Doc, a small... Chester, boy. you see something ahead on the side of the trail there? Um, yeah, maybe. It looks like some poor calf strayed off and dropped. I don't think so. Uh, it looks like a man. Come on. Chester, get the water bag. Yes, sir. Let me have a look, Marshal. Yeah. Let's see. Heat. Is he all right? Depends on how long he's been lying here. Here you are, Mr. Dillon. Open up his shirt, Marshal. Chester, get some of that water on his wrist. All right. It looks like an Easterner, huh? Sure not dressed for this country. Oh, that's better. That's better. Try to get a few drops in him. All right. Uh, not too much, Chester. <coughs> not in his nose, Chester. His mouth. Well, my gracious, I'm sorry, Mr. Dillon, but he moved his head. It's not so easy to... Hey, look, he's awake. You're all right, mister. Just take it easy for a bit now. Oh, that this too, too solid flesh would melt. Oh... And resolve itself into a Jew. What did he say? Oh, it's out of his head, Chester. For this relief, uh, much thanks. Forget it, Chester. Get around the other side and shade him from the sun. Yes, sir. The sun. I begin to be a weary of the sun. I don't blame you. Uh, what happened? My wagon... 
shed a wheel, I fear, along the high road. I know not where I am. Uh, you're about four miles out of Dodge City. Uh, Kansas. Kansas. Uh, I would give all my fame for a pot of ale and safety. We better get him to town quick. He's in a bad way. He's delirious. Uh, you think you can make it on a horse? We'll take you into... We'll take him into Dodge. And he passed out again. We tied him across Doc's horse. Doc and I doubled up and Chester rode behind. The stranger was a tall, skinny man with a face like a friendly mule. Big hands and thin wrists stretched out from his sleeves. He had no papers on him. Nothing. And until he woke up, we wouldn't even know his name. Doc settled him down in the back of his place, and he was still asleep when Chester and I rode out to where we figured he'd left his wagon. Wasn't hard to see when we found it. What color wagon would you call that, Mr. Dillon? Puce, Chester. Puce. I guess so. Seems to be some writing on the side there. Yeah. Oh, Irving Henry, thespian supreme disciple of the immortal bard. Mm. I should have known he was a religious man. Uh, he's an actor, Chester, the immortal bard. Shakespeare, William Shakespeare, wrote plays, poems. Ah, ah, hi. How about... You think he let the horses go, Mr. Dillon? Well, I was wondering that. Seems to me he'd have ridden for help instead of trying to walk. Horses couldn't have got out of the harness themselves. Well, let's take a look at the wheel. Huh? <laughs> Wish we could wait till the sun goes down. It's going to be awful hot work, Mr. Dillon. <clears throat> yeah. It's not too bad. The pen fell out. Must be another in the box at the back. Take a look, will you, Chester? Yes, sir. I'll prop the wheel up here. Now. Mr. Dillon? Hey, yeah, can't you find it? Will you come here a minute? Uh, what's the matter? Take a look in there. It took a second or two to get used to the darkness inside the wagon. And then I saw the hand sticking out from behind the trunk. You didn't have to be the doc to know that it was a dead hand. The body was of a man about 40. He was dirty. And in a greasy, torn waistcoat, I found a pocketbook with his name. Sam Matchett. And that was all. Below his left shoulder and his back was a patch of dried blood. And in the middle... A bullet hole. We got the wagon wheel on, hitched up our horses, and drove into Dodge. Doc? Oh, that's you, Marshal. Uh, yeah. Yeah, be right out. All right. Get that fellow's wagon fixed up? Yeah, I brought it in. Is he awake? Oh, I haven't looked in the last half hour. I was making coffee. Want some? Uh, no, thanks. Oh, it's a funny thing about coffee when it's hot weather like this. Drink it scalded and makes you feel cooler outside. Uh, look, Doc, I got to see that fellow. I want to ask him a couple of questions. Oh, that's so? I found a dead man in the back of his wagon. 
You don't say. You better take a look. Chester's bringing him in the side. Oh, sure, sure, sure. You want to go on back? Uh, yeah, thanks, Doc. Mr. Henry? Mr. Henry, wake up. Yes, what? Oh. Your name, Irving Henry? Oh, Irving Henry. Uh, what is this place? Now, you got to listen to me for a minute. We found your wagon. Ah? Uh -huh. Did you let the horses go before you sat on your own? Of course. I could not let them remain to die. Well, how come you didn't take one to ride? I have a loathing of horses. I cannot bear one under my body. <coughs> there is a carafe of water beside the bed. Would you be good enough, uh, Mr. Uh, uh... Uh, Dillon, Matt Dillon. I'm the marshal here in Dodge City. Here you are. Oh, my thanks. Now, what were you doing with a dead man in your wagon, Mr. Henry? A dead man? A dead man shot in the back, lying in your wagon. This is very midsummer madness. I won't argue about that, but I'll thank you to answer my question. But it is impossible. It isn't true. I say it is. You lie in your throat if you say that I'm any other than an honest man. Look, mister, I didn't say you weren't honest. You're an actor. And you got a fine way of saying things, but murder's murder. I don't care how you say it. Now, I'm asking questions, and I want straight answers. Your pardon, sir, what you tell me, in truth, if, if it were played upon a stage, I would condemn it as an improbable fiction. I swear to you, I know nothing of a body. Did you come through Hayes City? Yeah. Do you know a man there called Sam Matchett? No. You had no trouble in Hayes City? No. What are you doing in these parts, Mr. Henry? Uh, I'm... I am... Touring the provinces. An actor eating the bitter bread of banishment. And my talents are not taken for their worth in the East. And therefore, I bring the immortal bard to the hinterlands. And now, sir, that the interview is ended, pray give me leave to depart. I'm sorry, I can't do that. You'll have to stay until we get this thing cleared Mr. up. Mr. Dillon, Doc would like to see you. Uh, all right, Chester. Stay here with Mr. Henry, will you? Well, sure, Mr. Dillon, sure. If, how are you feeling by now, Mr. Henry? Would you like some more water? These evil manners live in glass. Doc. Right here, Marshal. What'd you find? Well, there's one thing. This man didn't die right away. I mean, not right when he was shot. Is that so? No. More likely bled to death. Inside. Uh-huh. Uh, you think he might have been able to climb up in the wagon after he was shot? Uh, he might. There's another thing. Yeah? You see the way he's dressed? Now, you take a look at the... Oh, oh, what the... Help! 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 Come on. Come on, Doc. <laughs> Chester. What, what's the matter with him? Chester. My gun when I was pouring him some water, Mr. Wait. Dillon. He must have gone through the window, Marshal. I, I tried to get it back it... And, uh... Take care of Chester, Doc. I'm going after him. We will return for the second act of Gunsmoke in just a moment. But first, 
Do you know how old the school building in your community is? If it's over 25 years old, the chances are that it's woefully inadequate to the present demands on it. Certainly thousands of schools all over America are unable to meet the needs of a greatly increased enrollment. And all our school children will suffer unless all of us work actively to improve conditions. Join with the groups in your community working for better school conditions. Remember, better schools build a stronger America. Now, the second act of Gunsmoke. When I went out of there, I didn't know how badly Chester was hurt. There was a lot of blood on his head and over his face. It was nearly dark outside, and the street was empty. It was supper time. I could see the women through the windows getting food ready. The kids were inside, too. Sure looked peaceful. But with Henry out with a gun, well, that wasn't a good thing to have running around loose in Dodge. Did you see a man run down the street, Miss Fletcher? Well, no. Well, you better get inside and lock your door. Don't come out again. There's a killer loose. I walked the length of the street, listening, waiting. And when I got to the end, there was nothing. He hadn't taken a horse, I'd have heard that. And in a way, I was sorry, because if he'd tried to hide and dodge, there'd be no way to get out of shooting that wouldn't get women and kids hurt. A breeze came up, and swirls of dust flew around, and then settled as the air became still and hot again. I went back to Doc's place. Find him, Marshal? No. How's Chester? Oh, I'm fine, Mr. Dillon. Just creased my head. More mess than hurt. Oh, good, Chester. Uh, look, you want to go home or you want to work? I want to work. All right. Go down to the office, get yourself another gun, and round up some men, many as you can. As long as Henry stays in town, we're in trouble. Now, keep your eyes open. Meet me back here. Yes, sir, Mr. Dillon. Take my gun with you, and if you see him, watch out. All right, I'll get going. Yes, sir. Doc, I'm going to have to make you a deputy, too. Well, well, maybe instead of digging out bullets, I'll be putting some in. It's not funny, Doc. Now, come on. All right, we'll start here. I'll take this side, you take the other. Get the men to go through their houses and tell them to look for their horses. Tell them what's happening. But ten o'clock that night, as far as we could tell, Henry hadn't left town. There were plenty of places for him to hide, though. We had 50 men out searching. Chester and I were working along back of the express office. There were a couple of houses there we hadn't covered. 
You wouldn't think a man like that would be a killer, now would you, Mr. Dillon? I never saw a man yet couldn't be, Chester. Depends on your reasons for killing, I guess. Now, let's take a look behind these boxes. You think he could have got this far? Yeah, he might. A lot of back streets to sneak around in the dark. That's Miss Cullen's place there, isn't it? Yes, sir. Looks like she's still awake. Light burning back there. Yeah. <clears throat> Seem a bit cooler to you tonight, Mr. Dillon? Yeah, a bit. Oh, uh, evening, Miss Cullen. I'm sorry to get you up, but we're looking for a man, a stranger around. He's tall, thin. You seen anyone about tonight? No. No, I haven't. Oh? Uh, how, how's the kids? Oh, they're fine. Thank you, Mr. Dillon. Fine. Uh-huh. Well, you keep the place locked tight, Miss Cullen. Don't let anybody in tonight unless you know who it is. All right. Good night, Mr. Dillon. Good night, ma'am. Well, now, that's strange. She didn't even say hello to me, and I know her better than you do, Mr. Dillon. Chester, round up the others. Get them over here. I don't know why she... He's in there with her. I think he's got the kids in the sleeping room. Oh. Sent her out to get rid of us. Now, I'm going to try and get in. Don't do anything when you come back. Just put the men around the house. Yes, sir. I'd seen Miss Cullen make a move with her head. And her eyes said the rest. When I told her to lock up, I shook my head, and I hoped she understood. I wanted that front door to stay open. as soon as I can. He was in there, all right. I could hear him. I wanted him alive. But I wasn't going to risk hurt to Miss Cullen or the kids getting him. I did what you asked. Don't hurt the children, please. They will never know this night. And in the morning, when they will What's that? You said you locked the door after you. No, don't. Don't. I shall keep the pistol turned to the girl's head now. Someone is here. They try to take me. Who is it? Who? Mr. Dillon, go away. Please. You lied. You lied. Oh, tiger's heart wrapped in a woman's hide. Listen to me, Marshal Dillon. Throw your pistol in here, and then come in with your hands before you. I have no stomach for child killing, but I will not hesitate to do so. 
Now give me the gun, Henry. No. You won't be able to get out of this. I must. There is living to be done. You know, that fancy talk isn't going to help either. Now, why don't you climb down? What happened to Matchett? Nothing happened to Matchett. Why'd you kill him? I didn't. In five minutes or less, there'll be 50 men or more around here. Now, what are you going to do? I don't know. If you didn't kill Matchett, you'll get a chance. I'll see to that. There's no use going on this way. Give me the gun. I cannot. It is my prop of salvation. No gun is salvation to anybody. Put it down. You must tell the men to go away, Marshal Dillon. I'll have to take one of these children with me for my protection. No! <laughs> Shed a tear for me, madam. I have the greater need. You do a lot of talking, mister. I'd like to see you turn the gun away from that kid's head. That'd take more than talk, wouldn't it, though? I have no skill with such a weapon. Why should I match with you? I want to live. You're going about it the wrong way. The smallest worm will turn being trod upon. Meaning? You gave me no choice when you brought me here. Would have been better to have left me lying in the dust. You don't understand. You don't know. Well, why don't you tell me? What good would it do? It depends. My life has been the theater. As a boy, I I was a student of Shakespeare. <laughs> you would look at me. <laughs> Who would accept this face for Hamlet? This ill-shaped body for Romeo. <laughs> His speech has become my speech, but when the fools only look, they cannot listen for laughing. There have been ugly men before you. It hasn't been cause for murder. Why'd you kill Matchett? In New York, there was a man. A gross, stupid man who fancied himself an interpreter of the bard. He, he took me... me... as his apprentice... And together we set out for the tour. I would play only the voices. Never Richard. Never Henry. Never Leah. Only, only the voices. Whilst he, stumbling, drunken, he muddled and tore to a tatter the words that I should have spoken. You killed a man because you wanted to play a hero? How easily murder is discovered. Yeah, sometimes, I guess. It was yesterday. We were leaving Hayes City. We played there for two days... And it made me a laughing stock. It was night. 
and he became drunk and had threatened to leave me in the next town. I made him stop the wagon and taking up a pistol, I shot him. He did not die at first and when I saw what I had done, I I wanted him to live. And I put him into the wagon and, and I drove on, hoping to find a doctor. Then, as, as the night passed, I saw that he had died. And I was afraid. And the wagon broke down? Yes. I, I put my purse into his clothes and took his name for mine. How I've hated the name of Sam Matchett. But you wouldn't understand. I wouldn't. Well, what now? I want to live. I want my chance. You've done a murder. I can't let you go, you know that. Don't make it harder. I lost my husband two years ago. I know what it is to be alone. You've been alone, haven't you? I'm sorry. But you killed someone. We may pity, though not pardon, dear. <laughs> I'm going now, Marshal. If you walk out of there with your gun, you're a dead man. Death's a great disguiser. I must have my chance. Don't do it, Matchett. There'll be killing. Madam, forgive me. I would not have harmed your children. Matchett, put down your gun. Let me go my way. Please. There are a lot of men waiting for you out there, Matchett. You know what'll happen if you open the door. Don't do it, Matchett. He knew he was going to die. The minute he opened that door, he knew it. And maybe he wanted to, because he fired first a single shot. We buried him in back of the church, and I found some words in a book to put on his grave. He that dies pays all debts.
Gunsmoke, under the direction of Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by Anthony Ellis, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Hans Conrad was featured as Henry, with Mary Lansing as Mrs. Cullen. Parley Bear as Chester, and Howard McNear as Duck. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. Roy Rowan speaking. Remember, gangbusters going to action Saturday nights on the CBS Radio Network. And we're back. So, Lothar, what did you think of Shakespeare episode of Gunsmoke? Well, I think the biggest, the biggest message that everybody should take away from this episode is that you can't trust those Shakespearean people, <laughs> Billard. <laughs> That's true. That is so true. <laughs> that is a long-term law in, in uh, shows that anybody who is English or who is really intelligent is usually evil. <laughs> like Star really Wars? scholastic and educated you know what I mean they're usually mm. evil right so right. <laughs> well in this one you have Hans Conried the great character actor oh yeah playing right. uh, yeah. magic or magic yeah yeah you know in it no but seriously though one of the things that I that I um you know first noticed that I loved about it was the couple of times where they work aspects that they need to tell the audience but they work it into dialogue so it's mm-hmm. also a little bit of a character piece like when he's you know waking up um you know the shakespearean character who's got the two different names um <laughs> which which we'll one is his henry. real personality call him henry? yeah henry okay yeah, exactly henry, henry. Yeah. yes um you know and and they're like chester you know don't pour it into his mouth and all that stuff i thought that was really nicely done uh mm-hmm. there was a couple times like that where they they worked aspects into the you know into sort of little character bits that were also ways of driving the plot along without it being heavy exposition. I thought that was really nicely done. And I always appreciate that. Um, Rather than doing the big exposition dumps, you, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, you weave it into the fabric of the, of the uh, script and people just experience it as, as you go. And I also really loved the, um, the counterpoint or, you know, let's say a, 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 thematic through line where you know the the show starts off where they're trying to find the guy who got you know drunk right. and ended up you know going crazy because his source of livelihood had dried mm-hmm. up water and we've got kind of the same thing happening where we've got this very urbane actor being driven to murder because well his livelihood's kind of being dried up oh good point yeah wow so the two really weren't that separate. They were still kind of on the same mission and that same sort of desert heat then takes on a, an interesting thematic, uh, symbolism to it as, as opposed to just the literalness of, yeah, it's drying everything up. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning, I, I thought they did a really good job in the beginning with their imagery and the dust and the hot and uh, the sweat drying on your arm. And, and, oh, you yeah. know, I just, yeah. I felt like in the beginning that you really get, sucked into the you, you can feel it the dust and the heat and, and they really yeah. do a great job with the uh, with the writing there and and conrad does a great job of delivering that line mm-hmm. oh yeah he, he sells it really yeah well. and you hear the hoofs and chester's talking about the dust and 
and all of that. And, and just, just really well done. Yeah. Well, while not being out in the Dust Bowl, it did bring me back to the times in the, um, you know, growing up in various parts of the Southwest and traveling to parts of the Southwest mm-hmm. in the summertime and that type of dry, no humidity heat and just what it feels like. It was very evocative. Mm-hmm. There's no question. Jack, how about you? Some thoughts there on the episode? Yeah. Well, it's there are a couple of things, a lot of things actually to come up. But I, 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 first off, I was thinking how many times we in modern audio drama try to sort of remove as much narration as possible mm-hmm. and just let the story. And I, I always thought that that's what old time radio does. But some of the greatest old time radio ones that we've done have a really strong, you know, narrative course. And it, but usually it's it's there to set the stage and then move forward, and it's usually from the main hero. And then I started thinking about this particular show and the the main character of Marshall Dillon, which is different than a sheriff because he's got a whole area to cover, right? Right. And I was thinking, and there was a an interesting website uh, that I was looking up where they're talking about this is the radio series provides examples of things that like really didn't happen before things like absence of evidence or mm-hmm. being acquitted too late or adult fear or how an amputation can stop the spread of gangrene a lot of there's a lot of sort of um misery and and sadness that's wrapped up in Marshall Dillon's character let alone in the whole place like oh, it's yeah. Not, it's not a happy town in any way, it's, shape, or form. It is such a morally gray and just bleak world in its own way. It's got its own sense of hope and everything, but it is incredibly modern from the point of view of, you know, what, what exactly are your major themes about good and evil and society exactly. and people? We get that a little bit with his line here of like, you know, didn't, you know, where Chester's saying, oh, he didn't seem like the type to be a murderer or a killer or whatever he says. And, you know, Dylan's like, I've never met a man who couldn't. You know, sort of thing. So this, it brought me to think this, is this not a really good example of a Western noir? Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, Especially and, since and it's is, in, a, in, a, in one city for the most yes. part. Yeah. And, and because like noir, like if you take a look at the original noir period, it's like 44 to 54. So people are operating on this kind of idea of pessimism and fatalism and menace and the idea that, well, you know, you're not going to get exactly what we want as real justice out of here, but we're going to get the best that we can. And this episode's a really good example of that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's yep. no good winners in these kinds of right. things. And I never thought of Gunsmoke as a Western noir before, but I really think it is. I Yeah, I think you're yeah, right. I do too. And I actually read in my research that the original Dylan was modeled after Philip Marlowe. Well, there you I, go. I was yeah. just going to ask if you guys said, yeah. uh, um, were f- uh, you know, recently familiar with the very famous uh, Raymond Chandler essay that he wrote about noir fiction, where he kind of describes his perfect hero no. and, and what what that means. And one of the famous lines, you know, he needs to walk down these mean streets, but not be mean himself and, and various things yeah. like that. And, right. um, you know, his description of, of what he's thinking about Philip Marlowe could be perfectly applied in, you know, an earlier time period to uh, Marshall Dillon. Right, right. There's no question because it's, you know, the. The sense of hope is very often, you know, um, hard to come by. And Dylan upholds sure. the law, even so that I think in Gunsmoke, if you listen to it enough, the good guy doesn't always win. Yeah. No, no, it doesn't. Right? That's, and, that's and I absolutely think that, true. Isn't that realistic? You know, I mean, of, 
you know, uh, Dylan will say something like, well, Chester, we've got to let him go because we don't have anything on him. And, you know, or, or and, uh, you know, it's that that happens. And I think that's. And there's. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah, there's times, too, that he's really not happy with the choices that he has to exactly. make based upon the badge. There are times when he'll ready, he's almost ready to throw the badge away because he just doesn't. He does. He can't stomach what he has to do, right? And yep. it makes him miserable to be around too, which is all these a great. It's a glorious grace uh, series for that reason, yep. too. You know what's interesting? They're talking about. I don't know how they handled it as much, and I I, I got to go back and re-listen to them all. But they were talking about that the first season of the television version, um, which has you know the 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 madam in the in the bar, mm-hmm. and I forget Kitty? her name. Kitty. Um, Kitty, yeah, Kitty. Um, they had they showed for a first couple of episodes like real prostitutes doing their work, really, and then they basically sort of pulled back from that and sort of had them as just sort of hanger-ons, you know, you know, whispering something in somebody's ear while they were playing poker and stuff like that, letting people buy drinks, but not actually showing them go up to their rooms with people and stuff like that. So, <laughs> well, uh, you know, you you bring up Kitty. That was one of the. Uh um, you know, that's probably like the only main character that we didn't see in this particular episode. So we'll have to do yep. a, th- there's one in particular that I might bring like next year, um, that I think would be perfect to sort of showcase, uh, Kitty's character. But when we were talking about noir, what, what a perfect, you know, female character for the time for that genre, right? Yeah. We don't have the school marm like in, you know, so many other Westerns. Mm-hmm. We've got, that's you know, right. the, the, the soiled dove. Was that the old term? That's a great term. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. And, and, and again, this, this sense of hopelessness of just people holding on to the last corner, you know, before they, they, they fall into whatever darkness, which is there kind of thing. And Matt is the one person who sort of keeps buoying up everybody around. Talk, let's talk about Doc for yes, a minute. Let's do that. Oh, he's crazy. Dark. He's a dark character. Oh, he is. Like he's yes. not your typical nice guy. No. There's, he's yelling at him at one point. He sits there and says, "Doc, be serious." You know, because he's like, "Well, maybe I can yeah. put bullets into people instead of taking them out." He's all excited about that <laughs> idea. Well, and he, he does that over a number <laughs> yes, of different episodes. That sort of approach, and it's like it, you, you're a fascinating character, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's some episodes where there'll be a dead body, and Dylan will be like. All right, Doc, you got a customer or whatever. And he'll go, oh, goody, you know, it's like finally yeah. making some money here. You know, bring me some more, That's you know, right. Matt. And, and Matt Dillon will chastise him, you know, but it's uh, he's an interesting character because of that. Uh, he's and, and also the fact that he's he's played by Floyd the Barber on Andy Griffith's show. Yes, oh. exactly. Yeah. Yep. I did not yeah. know that. McNair, Once I realized I that, is, yeah. yeah, as as a young kid, I realized that and it was like, oh, I don't really see Floyd the same way anymore. <laughs> yeah. And then later That's on, remember, remember in medieval times, Barber was also a synonym for surgeon. Yes. Hmm. Yes. Oh, wow. That's right. Yep. That's right. That's right. And quite often, you know, you, you could do a couple of different things, oh, yeah. right? You know, so a little bloodletting. You, you yeah. could. Yeah, little, little little shave and then maybe sew you up at the same time, right? <laughs> but that makes that character all that more interesting is because he has those shades of gray, right? Yes. And and while you trust him, and, and uh, he uh, he certainly comes up with some interesting, interesting uh, lines. Yeah. And Dylan has to, like, tell him to knock it off. And, but at the same time, they're, you know, they're friends. 
So he's an interesting character. There's some interesting parallels between, you know, and I'm going for modern audio drama now, um, Powder River, which I don't know if you've listened to before. Oh, yeah. Um, and and uh, Gunsmoke, because you can certainly see the main character of Powder River having very similar connections to the same kind of uh, feel about the world. And then the same thing about the docks, the two docks. The dock in Powder River is pretty nuts, too. And he's an alcoholic, too, when he falls off the wagon quite often kind of thing. So <laughs> it's fascinating how, you know, you can – and I don't think it was done um, on, on purpose in any way, shape, or form by Jerry Robbins. I know he actually hadn't listened to uh, many of the old-time westerns. Mm-hmm. Uh, he basically just went from his own understanding of movies and stuff like that. And so it's interesting how – you know, what do you end up doing when you're writing a Western? How do you create such, you know, clarity of polarizing characters to create yeah. something for that? So, well, and the characters really drove it through for this episode because this episode was pretty straightforward and linear. There was no twists and turns. Mm-hmm. The very first su- suspect is exactly who did it. There's no real question. The biggest twist is, oh, he swapped wallets, right. but that's really nothing. So everything is really being driven by. The characters, the writing, the text, the subtext. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm curious what you guys think about that. And Jeff, specifically, did you? Uh, were there any parallels between some of the lines that he was, uh, you know, that Henry was reciting from Hamlet and Henry V, uh, and this plot, or were they just the most common ones that everybody knows? And so they were throwing them out there for that reason. Do you think? I don't think they were the most common. I mean, the ones from Hamlet uh, were, you know, at the end. Um, but he's quoting lines from actually from oh, the first the first one too about uh, giving up his uh, fame for ale something like that wasn't that from Hamlet too? I think that that's from Henry. I think that's from Henry five. He he but, that dies pays all debts was from the Tempest, right? And that, it was it was Stefano, right? right? Stefano yeah. says which that, is right. the better drunk, right? But yeah. otherwise, you got you got some from actually the the they're interesting because you've got those. And then you've got some from Henry, uh, from three Henrys, um, mm-hmm. four, five, and six, and you've got one from Richard too. So, mm. so the so no, I don't think they were the norm, you know, kind of the ones that everybody knows uh, for the okay. most part. That, so I, I think they took some time and and uh, weave those in purposefully. That's that was my. Sense. I think that's a missing art too. I think that like. People were much more classically trained when it came to uh, as yes. uh, when they were taught. So there'd be a lot more biblical references. There'd be a lot more Shakespearean references, some classical Greek and Roman sure. references for things like that. And people would pick up on them, right? Because they would be they would know about them because they did them in yeah. school. Nowadays, well, you, can, you don't get that I, very. I often. don't think so. No, you can even read a bunch of novels from that time period, especially ones that are uh, coming out of England at the time, and. They will just have different lines in French because they assume that everybody's familiar with French mm-hmm. and that they also know that the reference and they didn't have to translate it for a for an English speaking audience. I think that's, wow. uh, you know, that sort of uh, assumption of, of education is definitely something that's been lost. I agree. And I, I think that something that people may not be aware of is that Shakespeare was very prominent in the old American West. Um, there mm-hmm. were there were traveling Shakespeare shows. Uh, they were uh, in, I think it was called McGuffey's Reader or something, which was one of the big primers of the time. Uh, there were Shakespearean passages. There, there's, there's. I was reading articles about it. There's, there's reams and reams of evidence about people 
knowing Shakespeare uh, and being able to recite Shakespeare in the Old West um, as well. And I think this episode plays into that because there's so much talk about about words. And and it's funny, in the beginning, they play against that because I think it's Chester that he reads the side of the um, the wagon. And, and, I, and I love the fact that <laughs> yeah. the wagon's... Oh, I knew he was a man of the cloth. <laughs> yeah. And I love the fact that Dylan knows the color puce. Uh, <laughs> yes, exactly. Color is, I'm not sure I know what puce actually kind of is. kind of reddish, purplish, brownish yeah. color. Oh, I, I looked it yeah. up. Okay. Uh, yeah. And so... Okay. Gotcha. Um, but the thing is, is that, um, you know, he, he says that there's twice, and I think once Chester does it and once Doc does it, uh, there's some kind of a Shakespearean thing, and, and they both talk about it being like gobbledygook or, you know, he's delirious, Mr. You know, Mr. Dylan. Right. No, he's speaking in Shakespeare, you know, a Shakespearean line. Yeah. And then there's all these things when you go through the script. Towards the end, even Dylan says, well, I found some words to say about him. And he, he quotes the lines from, mm-hmm. the, from I think, Hamlet at that point, right? Um, you know, and, and so there's this, this thing about words and the importance of words, I think, as, as we go through and um, the language. So I think language was so important in this. And that's probably what part of what drew me to it. Um, to, oh, to I, sorry, I'm, I'm still that you, when you're talking about traveling, doing Shakespeare, I'm just overwhelmed with the with the image of that short from the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Oh yeah, oh yeah, with oh, right. no arms and right. no legs. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think the short story was called Meal Ticket, and um, it it was so heartbreaking. But I can imagine how you know uh, m- maybe all three of us would enjoy going from one town to another, doing some kind of performance for people. That might be something that we might have done oh, yeah. back in the day if we were around. Uh, yeah. Of course, it was a lot more dangerous because they didn't like you. <laughs> <laughs> you might have got a bullet <laughs> or two. Now, I don't think uh, I think I think we uh, we um, over overindulged the idea of how often people were shot. You yes. know, in most cases. However, um, I'm sure there was a lot more nervousness about entertaining people back in the day. So there's no question. You know, one other thought I had, and this might not hold up, but I, I thought about the Henry that, you know, when he's match it, you know, he's talking about the fact that he can't play those parts because the way he looks. Mm-hmm. And then I thought right. about Conrad not being able to play Marshall Dillon because right. of the way he looks. Oh, yeah. Now that was later. Did Henry say something about the way he looks? I thought it was just that the other guy was like, to, you know, just saying like, hey, I'm the one with the money. I'm the one with the thing. And this is what we're doing. And, and you have to be my understudy, even though you're not. But I, I didn't catch something about his. Oh, everything that I read, uh, I, you know, and again, I don't know if it's true, but it had to do with his weight. No, I, yeah. I mean, in in story, the oh, character I, Henry. In the story. Yeah, no, I, 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 I don't remember Henry a line did. about his look. No, he does. Oh, yeah. Maybe he it was there. say something specific about he, that. He does. Yeah. It, yeah, yeah, he does. He at says one he's point, getting too old to somebody who looks yeah, like he me. Talks about they won't. They won't yeah. take him seriously as Hamlet, um, because of the way he looks. Doesn't that doesn't oh, Dylan say right. he looks yeah. like a friendly mule and like that? Yeah. So that's what I picked up. Anyway, but that oh, okay. that thought I mean, just struck me. Even the even the way they broke the show down, I I forgot that they and they did this not just with Gunsmoke. They did it with other shows. Is like. We'll be back with the second act. Yes. Because people were used to plays mm-hmm. in that respect. Mm-hmm. 
Nowadays, yep. you wouldn't. I mean, people, you you could do it as as a as an affectation, but it doesn't mean the same to people because we're used to a three acts, uh, you know, setup where there would be a commercial in between each or something like that. But they don't sit there and announce, "We'll be back with the second act," or that thus ends act one. Right? Sure. People don't consider it that way anymore. So there's there's that that aspect of theatricalism in the audio dramas of the day, for sure. Yeah. And even now in modern theater, it's the, a lot of plays just completely do away with intermission. And it becomes yeah. a one-act play that just goes straight through, you know, for an hour. <laughs> yeah, it plus. seems like the, the places that really need to uh, get people to go out and buy their glass of wine to keep the uh, coffers full, that's, that's the only reason intermissions really exist. Right, and a lot of times... And there might only be one. And a lot yeah. of times you'll get a script and it'll just be one and... and Directors will split it into two just for that reason. And actually, mm, a lot sure. of theaters you go to now, they, uh, they'll let you buy stuff before and bring it into the theater, which was always verboten, uh, yep, before, sure. but now <laughs> it's, they, you know, they need to make that, you know, they need to sell you that $15 glass of wine. You Especially know. if you had your six gun strapped yes, to you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Going in there with your bottle of wine and your six gun, I think that would make a lot of nervousness. <laughs> so. And I think there were at least three saloons in Dodge City, right? Yeah, there was Kitties, there was, there was one, another sure. one, and then there was one that I can never get the name, the Alafaganza or something like that. Yeah, and yeah, hmm. that wasn't there like the hotel kind of thing on top yeah, of that? Yeah, I think too? so, yeah. So, yeah, you know. Yeah. So there's, it wasn't just Miss Kitty's, you know, place. Although there, there's, sure. there's intimations that Matt goes and visits Miss Kitty at times right, throughout yes. the series. You know, so, so they don't completely knock that out, but, you know, that's no. certainly still in there. So here's another sort of ten, tangential thing, because I, I think we should talk about the pacing. Yes, I do. Yes, I'd love to do that. Because um, I, I think the pacing represents not just old-time radio drama, because there's lots of fast-paced old-time radio drama. I think it represents the, the genre. I think it represents Westerns, the idea of an old-fashioned pacing for things mm -hmm. as well. And I think it works really well in the tension side of things. There's a lot of walking, yes. right? That they, you a lot of horses, hoofs, yeah. a lot of footsteps. Well, and, and also, you know, as we were saying, you know, since there's no twist, there's no mystery. So the only mm -hmm. tension is going to be by driving the plot. If they didn't keep that pace as up, um, people would have gotten bored because there wouldn't have been anything going on. Right. But I, I right. think that what I had said earlier is that I really love the fact that they take their time. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it goes into, the I think, like you said, Jack, with the times. And, and they're not rushing anything. And you hear all those footsteps, you know, on the wooden walkways or the hoof, hoof beats. Um, and what such amazing sound design. Oh, my God, at that time period. Oh, the, great. The, mm -hmm. Everything from the the horse clops to the footsteps to the body drops mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. the guns, everything was just – it's like I've, I've heard modern radio you know, drama, audio dramas that don't sound this good, and this was all done live. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> yeah, the only thing that was sure. a little sketchy was the cat. When they moved the yep. boxes, <laughs> that one was That's that right. one was yeah. a little weak. The but big meow. but the, the uh, everything else was <laughs> yeah, like you said, yeah. Lothar. It's just totally spot on. I just here's uh, like this is what is it, it shows really amazing acting by the pauses because people can pause before they respond and 
you don't know what they're thinking. Like, I mean, you, but if in this show, for example, every pause before Henry speaks says something about what's going on in his head, mm-hmm. says something about the plot. The only time that I've seen that really done, like, well, not the only time, but one of the, one of the best times I've seen that really done well is Midnight Radio Theater um, by, uh, what's his name, Sinise. He, um, not Gary. Um, he, uh, he does a great job of having like a two for characters and you could drive trucks through their pauses, but you know that the pauses are really awkward because the person is trying to think of the right thing to say Mm -hmm. as a response to what's going on when you know he's thinking or she's thinking something totally different. And that's really powerful writing and extremely powerful acting. Yeah. Yeah. Being able to hold that energy to where that tension you know, doesn't sound like dead air. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. Because sometimes if you just keep, if you just pile it on, like I've had a tendency to do for so long, it does feel more like, okay, you know, it's, it's your turn to hit the ball. Now it's your turn to hit the ball. It's mm-hmm. your turn to hit the ball. You have to be able to facilitate that. You know, you know, who's amazing as well as an actress about that. Tanya is uh, just oh, absolutely yeah. at, yeah. Her, at her I, pauses. I'm, I'm, I'm just, right? I'm mixing some lines from her in in the last week that were just perfect for exactly that reason. It was it was just excellent. I you know, it's always such a such a thrill to to work with Tanya's work. Oh, she's great. It's something I definitely need to work on. I know as an actor myself, I you know, is is and it's hard because when you're doing it in the in the in the way that often we do it, which is not live together where you have that opportunity to reflect on the way that Jeff hits a line for example. When you're doing it satellite, you really have to get yourself in the headspace of trying to listen for what you think might be the moment that you have to like yep. do that quick pause kind of thing. So it's, it is, it is tricky, but to have somebody with really good ears to be able to know what to do for something like that is, is incredible. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, from a, from a real subtle point of view on, on the old time stuff, the, I think the fact that these mics are all live we're picking up probably on very subliminal levels, you know, a little bit of rustling of the body language or the way the breathing is going on that we're just barely subtly picking up that holds that tension. And that's a danger that we have in modern audio drama of doing too much noise removal or, oh, you know, to where we really are getting dead air, even if the acting is good. And being able to find that right balance, I think, is also part of the the art form of cleaning lines that is sometimes underappreciated and then also just putting down a nice uh, background bed to where during that you know uh, quote unquote dead air the audience at least knows that the show is still continuing because they hear the street sounds outside or whatever it is yeah you got a great point you shouldn't gate stuff too much right. for that reason right, right? exactly yeah. yep. oh, cool. and the, they do a cool. good job I think with the crickets and things in, in this uh, gun smoke you know and, mm-hmm. and there's one part where he's walking outside the bar, but you can still hear it, you know, and then he goes through the door and the, you know, it's so you actually feel like you went through the door because the volume comes up, the intensity of the sound. Mm-hmm. And and I just, I was thinking about that, thinking about what they were, you know, the equipment they were working on and things like that at that time and uh, marveling at mm-hmm. how wonderful it was, you know, the, the sound yep. uh, design, like you said. Yeah. Right. Uh, we we, we should a- talk about Chester a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's so great. He, he's a fantastic, and also played by Parley Bear, who was also on the Andy Griffith Show. 
He was he oh. was Judge Stoner, Stoner, I think. Oh, something like interesting. that. Yeah, okay. which I, you know, probably means Ooh. nothing, but it's kind of an interesting little tidbit. Um, but yeah. I, hmm. I always felt like like Chester was this interesting character, and and you know, so much of his so much of his dialogue is you know, yes, sir, Mister Dillon, you know, and and like that. Yeah. But later in the series, Matt says something to the to the effect of like Chester. He doesn't say it's his closest friend. But he kind of gets there a little bit, you know, and says yep. how much he can trust him and how much he uh, he means to him. And it's interesting because a lot of times, you know, Dylan's pretty gruff with him, like he is with other people. You know, like when they're mm-hmm. yelling at him, you know, Chester, watch the water. Jeez, you know, and, and uh, poor Chester gets yep. like slammed all the time. Well, it's, you know, it's interesting because I think a lo- the four really main characters, if we include Kitty – are interesting in that, you know, one of the things that, you know, just works for me, even though I'm sure there's plenty of different ways of, of looking at this, is Marshall Dillon is the will of the West turning into something new. It's, it's you know, he's the one who's going to force everything to do it. Um, Chester is kind of the heart. Hmm. Kitty is kind of the soul. Hmm. And Doc is kind of the mind. Wow. Maybe he's a little addled, but, you know, all of them together bring in sort of like a whole human being that is evolving into a more, mm-hmm. you know, stable place. The chaos is is giving way to order. And Marshall Dillon has to lead that up because he's the iconic hero, the the will that is going to cut through all the illusion and leave behind uh, what is essential. And everybody else also has their parts to play. And, you know, the will without the heart, which would be Chester, uh, could easily become brutal. Yep. And Chester has a very yeah. humanizing feel, not only for all of us, you know, as an audience, and he's a great comic relief, which is also part of humanizing, mm-hmm. but he also is is that really good friend to Marshall Dillon of like, you know, don't don't let this get you down too much, man. Uh, I'm going to make you laugh, even if it's by slipping on a banana peel. <laughs> yeah. Now that's a great You see point. that in the television series with Festus later on, too. They keep that same character, that same kind of feel in that, that for that reason, I think. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Hmm. Something to Very something cool. to think about. That's why I love doing this show with you guys. It's always something great to think about that I had never considered before. But that's fantastic. You know that I think the the guest star there was Mary Lansing. Is that true? She played the 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 the, the mother. The, the mother, uh, possibly. I don't know. Yeah, I and can't remember who it was, but know. whoever it was, she did a great she was job. Fabulous. I think, yeah, I th- I think it was Mary Lansing, and I don't know if you know who Mary Lansing is, but she was also on the Andy Griffith show. Really? So there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, and on Happy Days and and uh, a bunch of stuff like that. But she was really well known for doing a lot of audio drama, and um, she just passed away like 2013, wow. not too long ago. And uh, she was married for a long time to uh, Frank Nelson. Who's uh, very famous for that? His catchphrase of "Oh yeah!" Oh, that guy. His catchphrase guy. <laughs> that guy who was He's on great. the Flintstones, the Jack Benny program, and it's like "Ooh, very much." Yeah, you know <laughs> that guy. And yeah, so he did a ton of stuff as well. So they were they they had a really interesting um, uh, life together because I'm sure they would have. That's how they got they met. I think is originally on on radio. That's how they first got together. So she did a lot of, the, she, there would be a number of these people who did bit parts. Would It's like, who can we get in to do this for, version, right? Sure. And then, and then there was, uh, Roy Rowan was the, was the uh, host, right? He's the announcer for a lot of the shows. 
Oh, okay. I don't know, but that's he did a great job. I don't know his name, but yeah, 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 yeah. And and again, he's well known for a lot of stuff. He's he did the I Love Lucy show as, as well um, later on, kind of thing. So he he did a ton of stuff on radio, and then much more on um, on television as time went by, kind of thing. But he was also known as as one of their like their main people to do announcers. You know, it's weird how. Certain people had like the announcer voice mm-hmm. kind of thing, and that's basically all they did. They might throw them in as a third role, you know, <laughs> somebody to do something small. Uh, but for the most part, they just went around doing all their announcing stuff, which was interesting. So, but I'm just always, I'm always amazed. I'd love to see um, some kind of, and if people uh, who are listening can find it, I would love to see some some audio or some written piece about what the days were like for bit actors in these studios. Like, oh yeah. That'd that be would fascinating. be great. How yeah. did they prepare for, for gun smoke? So they got the script when in the, in the week they practiced when uh, they went over the sound effects when, you know, like they're obviously the director had to push all this stuff through. Cause these were weekly shows. And sometimes as we know, some shows ended up being daily shows, mm-hmm. not gun smoke, but other things. So it'd be really cool to see that entire process of what they did. It would be. I, I mean, me I, I'd have no idea the answer to that, but I can see them, you know, in a room and going, hey, Mike, you got to get in there and play such and such, you know, and, and sometimes right. probably doing it right on the spot. I know that this is different, but I know I, I was listening to uh, an interview with Michael McDonald once, and he said he was recording some album, and they told him this he was going on a break, and they said, hey, Mike, can you run down to Studio B or whatever it was? And uh, do some voiceover mm-hmm. and do some uh, backup vocals. And it was, um, oh, I just forgot his name. Um, he did that. It was like Ride Like the Wind. He was big back in the. Have you seen the SCTV skit about that? No. It's hilarious. Oh my God. Jack, did you send that to me? Someone sent it to me recently, and I thought it might have been you. Right. Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe I'll not. have to send I, it I to you guys. So many stuff. <laughs> but it's it's basically you know Rick Moran is playing like he's you know a uh, like a like a TV uh, you know talking head and he's like and now ride by ride like the wind by you know right whatever the guy's yeah. name is that I'm blanking on as well you know and then all of a sudden no, that it wasn't cuts me. yeah and then it all of a sudden it cuts to Michael McDonald and he's driving he's driving in a car and it's obvious he's driving really fast but it's kind of looks like a music video because it's on film stock <laughs> instead of video and then all of a sudden he gets out of the car he runs in and he gets into the studio just in time to put on the microphone and sing his backup line <laughs> put it down walk out shakes hands and then all of a sudden he has to run back in again because it happens again you know and it's really funny i'd love to see that and it's, it's christopher cross by the way i just looked it up oh yeah um, it. yes exactly but they yeah. did say yeah. or maybe it was an interview with him they did say that you know michael mcdonald was pretty famous at that point and he just came in and he did all those mm-hmm. background vocals and just went back to his own his own you know recording session and did that so I know there's a lot of that happens. So I I would imagine in old time radio where these people were, I don't know if they were under contract. I don't know what the deal was, but it was probably just like, Hey, get back, get in there and play, you know, such and such in Gunsmoke or, you know. Well, you think like Orson Welles had hired his own ambulance to drive with the, with the lights going and the, that from one, th- from one network to another, so he could hit all of his particular places. There must have been times because they were sharing all kinds of actors, I'm sure. Yeah. There must have been times when people, because it was live, couldn't make it for one reason or another. So they yeah. would have to throw people in and go, hey, 
you get over here. <laughs> Stop typing up next week's script. I need you to do this, right? Well, so. <laughs> I'm sure there was also, you know, because uh, when I worked in commercial video, a lot of the talent that we got to do these, you know, training videos and happy face videos and all the all the crap that no one sees unless they work in the in the corporate commercial right. world were known for being one or two take people to where you could get them in. They've never seen the script before. They look at it and they do it. And there was this one woman um, where everybody called her one take Mary because you knew that you could get her in last minute, should look at it and should do it perfectly the first time you took two or three takes just to make sure you had it on video. But pretty much you were going to wow. use the first one. And that was her skill set. She was not an amazing yeah. thespian, but she was solid, good and did it exactly the way you wanted to. She wouldn't win any awards except for by the industry going like, I can rely on her yeah. to get it done. Nice. It's interesting because yeah. I just read a book on Woodstock and one of the announcers, his nickname was Chip. His name was Chip Monk. Um, he was a lighting guy. <laughs> and, yeah, really. And, uh, they, that was I forget what his real first name was, but they called him Chip. That's yeah, nuts. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah. And, uh, oh, good one. <laughs> and, um, they told him, like, right before they went on, they said, Chip, by the way, you're going to be the PA announcer. And he's like, okay. <laughs> He'd never done it before. In front of 500,000 people, he was the uh, PA announcer, along with another guy, uh, for Woodstock. So, yeah, Chipmunk. Awesome. Great character. Nice. Yeah, as well. But that's a great idea, so, though, Jack. We've, we've, I, I don't, I, I would love to read something about what that life was like. Yeah. You know. Oh yeah, that'd be fantastic. All those people who were, you know, doing the old time radio and just amazing. I know yeah, so I, we, I know on Marvelous Mrs. The, uh, Maisel, she was doing commercials in season three. Yeah, Did you see that? I saw season three. That was yeah, awesome. And she's yeah, running around to all these so it's a similar yeah. thing, right? I gotta we gotta go here, yeah, we gotta go here so. and do this commercial. They're just feeding her the copy <laughs> and she's doing it and and uh and they're they're paying her in like yeah. A meat boxes whatever it was tampons yeah exactly yes yes that's what it was yeah <laughs> boxes of Pickles tampons or whatever it was yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right was good. Sorry, you were saying, Lothar? Oh, just, uh, you know, we talk a lot about the different commercials. What did you think about the uh, public service announcement in this episode? Yeah. I it, there, there are those in a number of them about the schools and uh, community mm. buildings and town halls. So, yeah, uh, just a real nice appeal to to the average person, which, you know, it's like, you know, all of us, you know, having, it, you know, I no longer work in education, but I did right, work in education. Yeah. What did you guys think from that point of view of like, yeah, you know, that would be nice if we all cared about that a little bit more. And if we didn't have administrators stealing the budget for themselves <laughs> and their salaries and all that crap. Yeah, I, I thought it was great. I was taken aback the first time I heard it. Like, what is this? You know, because you know how much I love the commercials and, and uh, like that. Right. And so to to do these PSAs about building new schools and building your future and um, the other ones, uh, yeah, I mean, I thought it was great. It was different, that's for sure. And I don't know if the later ones have that same thing, but um, those earlier ones, because mm -hmm. I didn't say this, but this is an early uh, show. This was like 14th. This is from uh, August of 1952. Okay. Um, so yeah. this yeah. is an early there, show. There's a lot more citizenship commercials and and, and uh, i would guess they're not commercials as much as they're uh you know um uh, what would you call psas them? or whatever a, yeah psas yeah there's, there's a lot more citizenship psas in the 40s to the mid 50s okay. than i find afterwards and now it, it shows up again in the 70s if you're looking yep. at a cbs mystery theater 
Yeah. You'll see and a also, lot more uh, of those too. So Zero Hour, uh, the first yes. season of Zero Hour, if I'm remembering right, I might have my information wrong. So if anyone has any corrections, please send it in. Um, but my understanding is that the very first season of uh, Zero Hour, they didn't have any actual sponsors and they were still trying to get sponsors. sponsors so they just did um, basically federal and local public service announcements. And it's fascinating to listen I to. I believe this is the same case. Sure. And again, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. But I think I read somewhere that for the first one or two seasons, uh, Gunsmoke had no sponsor. So maybe that's what it was because later that is crazy. Later on, <laughs> I I want to say that the sponsors are like Chesterfield cigarettes, yeah, um, or something like that. Chester, yeah, yeah or, or something, <laughs> something like that. You know, with with the you know the super white filter, you know, and or whatever it was, the scientific smoke. You know, um, but I, I think later there's a cigarette uh, uh, advertisements. So I think maybe, again, correct me if I'm wrong, anyone, but uh, I think there was no um, sponsor for the first season or two. That's one of the reasons why the six shooter died, eh? They, 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 they want, uh. there was, like, there was, a, I think it was Chesterfield or one of the cigarette companies wanted to do it, but Jimmy, uh, Jimmy um, uh, Stewart, who played in in the six shooter? He didn't want them. He didn't want to have cigarettes as their, really? as their sponsor. So they, they couldn't get a, a proper sponsor that he would approve of, and they ended up the, the show ended up dying early. So what an interesting stance for the time yes. period. That's uh, quite really? ahead of the time for him. Yeah. yeah, that was exactly. Yeah, that was amazing. Anything else about the episode or or in specific about Shakespeare that? you guys have on your minds that you need to say no it was a pretty straightforward show and just uh you know i love the execution of it i thought everything you know a very simple plot mm -hmm. line that if you just wrote it out on a cocktail napkin wouldn't sound like much and they really made it come to life and that to me just showed you know really stripped down to what makes Gunsmoke so damn amazing yeah i have to say that that I like Matchett as a villain because he's a different kind of villain, especially for the old West. You know, he's right. not the gunslinger yeah. guy, you know, uh, you know, we're going to have a, we're going to get in the middle of the, uh, the, you know, street and have a shootout or, or whatever. Um, which I like too, but, um, I kind of like mm -hmm. that this was a different kind of, of, uh, villain, kind of an accidental villain in some ways. And, 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 uh, you know, he apologizes at the end, right? And he says to, to the right. mother, I would never have hurt your child, ma'am. You know, as yep. he walks out and he knows he's going to get killed when he walks out, you know, and I, and I, and you know that we know that because, uh, Dylan says he fired first, yes. Like he made a very, very specific point to say, you know, they just didn't shoot, you know, mm -hmm. he made the decision to basically commit suicide. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He exactly. took one shot to do that. Right? Exactly. And that's so. a good point. Cause I think you might miss that. You know, mm -hmm. and I think at one point he says, you should have just left me out there to die, right? Uh, yeah. So, he definitely, exactly. he definitely, you know, what he's done is in, in what he's doing, although he says he wants to live, which is interesting because he says it a couple of times, right? Mm -hmm. I well, he, he is conflicted. Yes. And I think that's an interesting point is Good that point. He's, he's obviously conflicted about everything that's going on. And this also, you know, as we're all actors, I don't think I'm slamming anybody that's not, you know looking at myself mm -hmm. in the mirror is 
when you know he says you know you're you're causing me a dis you're calling me a dishonest yes. man or something mm-hmm. and dylan goes i didn't call you a liar you're an, you're actor. an actor and the sort of subtext of that is that your job is to lie buddy mm-hmm. right. your please. job is yeah. to say right. these nice words and you talk real pretty and all that stuff and it's like yeah there's times where if you get into that mindset, you can completely mess with your own head and convince yourself of something that wasn't really true. And that's kind of what we have to do when we're taking on a role, but being able to turn that off. And I think his his stress over what he was going through, he didn't know what was up mm-hmm. when he said, you know, I, 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 you know, I have no stomach for child killing, but I won't hesitate. Maybe in that moment, he was absolutely true. Yeah. Maybe he would have. Yeah. You know, he shot Chester in the head. Not a very good yeah. job, but he right. did. True. Yep. No, that's you know, true. So th- this is a guy who was not stable. He was, um, you know, he he had been knocked off his pins and did not end up well. Yeah, that's true. Don't you love that Chester's like you know Dylan says to him so you know just creased yeah. his head. Creased my head. So you, you're re- you're are you are you resting or you're working? I'm working. Yeah. You know Chester. That's, right. that's Chester. Chester's right? the workhorse. He's always out there, yep. right? No matter what. Kind of that's thing. Chester. Yeah. You know that's one Chester of the things sure. that interests me, and we talked about this earlier, is. Just the whole Western genre and kind of the Western genre as kind of the American mythos, you know, the cowboy. And we talked about this and um, together a little bit online or, or by email. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it just, you know, I look at it and I say, what is the, uh, the, the myth of the America of the United States? And to me, it's, it's this whole cowboy mythos. You know, that, that is, mm-hmm. uh, I was wondering what you guys thought about that or, or bringing in just the Western yep. genre. Well, be, before, uh, before I forget this thought, cause I think this might be great is, you know, we haven't really thought about what we're doing, but what if we do, Jack, what if you bring a, um, a Western and I'll bring a Western and we can continue this conversation. Cause I think this warrants a much larger conversation that we can split up and, um, you know, continue this going. So we don't have to cram everything into this particular great episode idea. and we can have, uh, maybe, uh, maybe, uh, uh, rolling uh, three episodes of westerns or something. It's a great idea. Yeah, I, 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 and being the Canadian, I might throw in like one of the Mountie shows. I was going to ask oh, that'd you be about fantastic. that. Yeah. Because that's yeah. that's a totally different <clears throat> feel um, compared to the westerns, and I think that's something we need to talk about. It's it's the definitive difference between Canadian ideology and American ideology, and I think yep. it's it's certainly worth talking about on a longer thing. Oh my Absolutely. goodness! Have we just cliffhangered the audience? I think so. <laughs> yes, yes, we I have. Think so. I think we should. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think, and I think yes. that's a great idea, and I think we should do that because I, I think when you know we look at the idea of in quotes the Western, and we talked about this too. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I brought up like for example, uh, the Mandalorian to me is a Western. Um, you know, uh, yeah. or or Firefly is is a Western. To me, yep. and and what, and I think maybe another thing we could get into, and and I like this idea of doing three different shows, is you know what exactly is a western, and and um, and I I just think it's it's mm-hmm. a great discussion point that that I know we're interested in, and I think people who are listening would be interested in as well, and maybe have something to say about it. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, uh, Jack, do you want to bring the next one or should I bring the next one? I'm, gu- I'm cool either way. Um, just knowing how busy my life is, maybe you should bring the next one in. It's okay. unfortunate that I already decided that I should do the Canadian version because <laughs> one of my favorites is the six shooter. 
and it well, would be really you know, cool we, to do we that could, one, We so. could split this to four we if we wanted four, to. Right? I don't think we're going to run out of stuff to talk about. If you want to do the six-shooter, um, you can gonna, do that too. Yeah, I, okay. I'm thinking of, uh, I'm thinking of uh, maybe bringing in uh, something from Fort Laramie. Oh, yeah. yeah. That would be good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's so, him again, isn't it? Oh, no, no. No, it's... No, um, no, um, no it's... um. Burr, Raymond Burr. Yes, that's it. Yeah. It's from yep. Fort Laramie. Yeah. That's yep. a good great one. show. Yeah. Yeah. All right. He's so another yeah. great Very show, cool. the great guy that was in a ton of different shows. Oh, yeah. And when you get the two of those two together, um both of them together, uh it's incredible to hear them uh, talk back and forth. Yeah. It's well, they're, they're both they're both such great actors. They both have a similar tenor to their mm-hmm. voice. And for those of us growing up yes. in the seventies, they were both on, uh, you know, ABC Mysteries with uh, Ironside and um, Cannon. Yeah, that's so, right. You know. That is right. That's I right. forgot about Ironside. Right. He was in a wheelchair, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's yeah. right. And uh, Cannon. I watched Cannon. Perry Mason. Yeah, yeah, I watched Cannon all the time. I, he had that big Lincoln, right? And they yep. tooled around <laughs> in it. Yeah, and it was. Uh, he was great. I love I love William Conrad. I just uh, think he's amazing. Yeah, me too. You know? Well, good. So I think that about wraps it up then, huh? Yep. I, I got to go, go off and find myself some whiskey at the saloon. Oh, yeah. Me too. I got to go see <laughs> Kitty at the whatever it is, Cattle Trail or whatever it's called over there. <laughs> it's great. Hey. And I just got to mosey on by wherever I'm going. <laughs> mosey. Go. That's important. You need to learn how to mosey. Mosey. All right. So. <laughs> So, so uh, thank you, Lothar. It's been a pleasure. And Jack, hey, thanks for bringing it, man. This was an awesome episode. Oh, thank you. It was it was fun. It was fun. And uh, so for everybody, we'll uh, see you next time here on Sonic Echo. Adios, folks. See you later. This has been an Electric Vicuna production. It's finally happened. Local psychiatrists have joined together to give you not only the best in psychiatric care, but in shopping convenience too. Yes, introducing Psychiatrists Mall, where you can find mental health and outstanding bargains at the same time. Ladies, looking for that perfect negligee? Come to Freudian Slips. But be careful, sometimes things just pop out when you least expect it. How about a lovable pet to rid yourself of stress? Check out Pavlov's dogs. Animals so cute your mouth will water. You say your car has stopped running? Then relax while the mechanics at Nervous Breakdown look under your car's hood while your psychiatrist looks under yours. And finally, look at all the beautiful hand-woven luggage at The Basket Case. Get inside our mall and we'll get inside your head. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.